the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 213, and we are recording on January 7th. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. We're back from vacation. Hopefully we remember how to podcast. 2020! (laughs) What, what? New decade. Yeah, this is, I guess, technically not our first released episode of the year, because, but we recorded our reading resolutions one before the break, so... Mm-hmm. It feels new mm-hmm. to us. Yeah, we have not actually done this in like two weeks. Yeah, so yeah, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> what our podcast? <laughs> what our words must make sound? <laughs> well, we hope everybody is off to as good of a start as possible. And if you are new to the show, welcome. It is, as we said, a reading recommendation show, which means that you can send in questions about what you should read next. It can be a book pick for you, for a family member, a relative, something for travel, maybe something for a book club, whatever. And we will do our best to find you a next great read. You can send those in either via email, getbooked at bookriot.com, or on the Book Riot site, we have the show notes for the each episode, and there is a form at the bottom that you can put in a question. If you have a date that you would like a response by, you know, you're traveling, it's for a gift or something, please put time sensitive and the date that you are hoping to hear back by in the subject line of the email or the very first line of the form. We'll do our best. We might shoot you an email response, so keep an eye out for those. And if you've asked a question that has been answered a couple times on air already, we might also shoot you an email response. So, Let's see. We have a lot of feedback. Y'all have Mm -hmm. a lot of suggestions. Sue has a recommendation for Win from episode 210. Uh, Cinnamon and Gunpowder by Eli Brown has food, pirates, adventure, romance. Not sure why this book never gets mentioned. Because I haven't read it. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, same. But I do know several people who also love that book. So Uh, let's see. Chantel has a recommendation for the person wanting horrible, violent stories. She also (laughs) weirdly loves those books too the recommendation is for the dot hutchinson's series specifically book one the butterfly garden and book three the summer children they are mysteries that follow a group of fbi agents that work children protection and each book Mm. has different other main characters trigger warnings for everything (laughs) and highly recommend the audiobooks uh also if you like podcasts Chantel recommends crime junkie Oh, that's a good idea. True crime podcast seems right up this alley. Yeah, yeah. Horrible and violent, for sure. Um, Emma recommends, for the person who wants fantasy with female characters who are like other girls and like working with fabric, the Circle of Magic series and its sequels by Tamara Pierce of the four main characters, three are girls, thus avoiding the essentializing about what girls are and are not like, and one of them is a thread mage. Good call, Emma. And then Chris, for the person wanting to learn more about Spain, says Spain, the Root and the Flower by John A. Crow is a complete history of Spain and helped me to fully grok Spanish culture more than any other book. (laughs) A plus use of grok there, Chris. Uh I appreciate that. (laughs) All right. So on to our first question and then our first sponsor. Our first 
question is from Courtney, who says, My husband and I always listen to audiobooks on road trips. We have a couple of long drives coming up in January and February and are looking for some recommendations. We have pretty different tastes, but some crossover. I love literary fiction and shorter fantasy reads. My husband loves high-slash-epic fantasy. He will listen to Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit over and over, and I don't love either of those. Mm -hmm. He also likes really detailed historical fiction. Recent audiobooks we've tackled and liked are Neverwhere by Neil Gaiman and The Hazelwood by Melissa Albert. We already have The Night Country pre-ordered. All right. So before we give our uh, road trip audiobook recommendations, we will take a break for our first sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Avid Reader Press. So this next book is a really fun sounding mashup of different genres. There's a little time travel, a little romance, a little spy thriller action going on. So in the near future, a civil servant is offered the salary of her dreams and is shortly afterward told what project she'll be working on. A recently established government ministry is gathering quote unquote expats from across history to establish whether time travel is feasible for the body, but also for the fabric of space time. This is an exquisitely original and feverishly fun fusion of genres and ideas. The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley asks, what does it mean to defy history when history is living in your house? Colleen Bradley's answer is a blazing, unforgettable testament to what we owe each other in a changing world. It kind of gives Outlander meets Cloud Atlas or If the Time Traveler's Wife was written by Sally Rooney or Colson Whitehead. Make sure to check out The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley. And thanks again to Avid Reader Press for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95 and she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love. But the thing is, she's number six. So if he is to have seven great loves, does that mean his time with Arena is going to come to an end? So this is a love letter to Western pop culture, Eastern traditions, and being a first-generation New Yorker. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang for sponsoring this episode. <laughs> Amanda, I feel like I've been talking for 6,000 years. What do you recommend for these two? Okay, this was really interesting, like a literary fiction, fantasy, epic, historical fiction, Neil Gaiman kind of question. Um, so I picked The Binding by Bridget Collins, which is all of those things. And I will give it a trigger warning for homophobia, rape, and child abuse, just everything, I guess, just all the things. Um, I picked up this book with no knowledge about what it was about. I just saw uh, it was sent to me and I saw on the back that it was about magical bookbinders, like people who make books and have magic. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm here for this. Like, obviously, I'm going to read this. So I picked it up. And that is a little bit what it's about. So it takes place in a kind of 19th century alternate England. It's English-esque, English adjacent sort of. Um, and it's a world where people go to bookbinders to have memories taken away from them, painful memories that they don't want 
to carry anymore. A binder will have this like magical ability to take that memory from you and put it in a book and then they store the book and then off you go having no recollection of the thing that you wanted to get rid of. Um, so books are very precious. Books also have a um, like a big magical kind of stigma attached to them. Binders are often referred to as like witches and are feared slash, you know, whatever, revered in the way that people with supernatural abilities and fantasy often are. And so uh, it, the book is about a guy named Emmett who is a farmer. His last name is also Farmer. His name is Emmett Farmer. He's a farmer. Hey. Um, and he has some kind of mental and physical collapse when the book opens. You're not quite sure what's wrong, but he has a really bad fever. He's out of it um, for months at a time. His family has to, like, tie him down. And then when he wakes up and comes out of this fever, he is is physically unwell and, like, can't do the work on the farm that he's supposed to be able to do. And then uh, the bookbinder, who lives adjacent to his village, sends for him to come work for her and become his apprentice. And he doesn't know why. There's obviously some kind of story, like she knows who he is. She knows his history. He has no idea why she knows any of this stuff about him. So he goes off to be her apprentice and to get over this illness that he has. Um, So he slowly starts like getting his strength back and stuff and like learning how to do the binding. But she forbids him to go into the storage room where the books are stored. And he doesn't know why. And then a very handsome, mysterious, lordly boy named Lucian shows up to get bound for something. And it sets off this like chain series of uh chain reaction of events and flashbacks and memories and it's very steamy um for emmett and lucian because he recognizes like there's something about this guy that there's just something about him like it sends him back into his fever he feels like he knows him but he doesn't know why and then you know off you go i know like the rest of it is literally a spoiler so i can't talk any more about the plot but this really, it feels very Neil Gaiman-y. Like, it's got that, um, oh, what's the one, the Michelle Pfeiffer movie? The Star, Stardust? Yeah, Stardust. Yeah, it has a very Stardust feel. It's, a, it's much darker, though. But that kind of, like, fantasy, you know, rural community kind of magic. Everything's a little bit dangerous, and then it becomes really, really dangerous. Um, the main character and his romance is just, ugh, it's just, ugh. I read it in, like, a sitting. It's just great. It is rough. Like, there's a lot of really hard stuff. And I thought about this for a a while because I was like, would I want to listen to this in an audiobook, especially with, like, another person sitting in the car with me? But it's so fast-paced, and you get through it so quickly, and, like, you move past the hard topics. Like, the plot keeps moving. So I don't think that it would be – you're not, like, sitting in a car trapped with someone listening to somebody talk about homophobia forever and ever and ever. Um, So it is, I think – I think it would be fine. But it's such an an adventure and an epic, like – just ride it's a ride so it's the binding by bridget collins so my pick i have recommended on the show before (laughs) and i will probably recommend it again hey new year new list (laughs) yeah that's right (laughs) but it's just so perfect for so many things including this it's witch mark by cl polk and it comes with trigger warnings for ptsd and violence towards women and children the reason i'm picking it for this question is because it, it it is a fantasy with a literary feel and also really like interesting historically inspired details. So I feel like it threads an interesting needle for the two of you. There is an audiobook. It's about nine hours long. And this takes place in a world that's sort of inspired by Edwardian England just after uh, the World War. And in this like secondary world, um, there are, you know, there there's like electricity and like some, you know, basic industrial new technologies, but not like a ton of stuff. And in this setup, they're powered by magic. And in the meantime, a war 
is ongoing, and the main character, Miles, works in a veteran's hospital. He himself is a veteran, and he's seeing a lot of patients that have this really severe PTSD that appears to be magically induced in some weird way that he just can't figure out. The problem also is that he's not supposed to be able to do magic, only like like in this society, anybody who has magic, especially if they are lower class, is considered a liability and dangerous and locked away in an asylum. But the big secret is that all of the noble families have magic and they use it to control like the weather and the fate of what's going on in politics and all that stuff. Um, and Miles is, you know, living under an assumed name. He's on the run. Nobody can know that he has this magic. So he's really hampered in his efforts to treat his patients by that. And then somebody comes in uh, to the hospital poisoned and exposes Miles's gift and also sets him on this like murder mystery quest that then turns into a much bigger dive into a political conspiracy. And it's so well done. And what I love about it, too, is it deals with really heavy things like it is there is violence and, you know, there's family estrangement and there's this PTSD. But it has this really hopeful, optimistic feel, even as terrible things are happening, which is something I super appreciate these days. And the sequel comes out in February and is also great. So if this one works for you, too, then you have another one to do together as well. So I thought that might be a good option. And, you know, I'm pretty sure there's going to be a third. It definitely didn't feel like it was done after book two. Gosh, I hope it's not done <laughs> after book two. I need I need so much more in this world. But anyway, I, I really think it would work for the two of you. Um, so again, that's Witchmark by C.L. Polk. All right. Our next question is from Roxanne, who says, I'm a new listener. Uh, I would love recommendations for novels set during the Vietnam War, especially those that focus on family dynamics and the long-term effects of the war on veterans. Okay, I picked a classic of this very specific genre, The Things They Carried by Tim O'Brien. Um, this book came out in 1990. Tim O'Brien also won a National Book Award for going after Cacciato, which was another book about Vietnam War. Um, so he, and he is a veteran, and so he's got a lot of experience both with the war itself and its aftermath and writing about it. So The Things They Carried is, like I said, a classic. Like it's taught in high schools and colleges um, and in history classes. And it's one of those weird, um, hard-to-pin-down genre-wise kind of books because it's a collection of short stories, but they're also maybe autobiographical, but they're also maybe not. So they're like semi-autobiographical. They're also kind of essays. So they're like vignettes, I guess is the best way to put them. It's a collection of vignettes about the war. And it goes back and forth between different members of this one unit um, and also through time. So like you experience the childhood of some of the characters, you experience what it's like to be in the jungle, you know, like during the actual war itself. And um, like the book, the title is literal, the things they carried. He's talking both about their kit, their, you know, um, uniforms, the weapons, and he catalogs each thing that they're carrying and what it's for and what it emotionally means to every person that he's talking about. Um, and also, of course, metaphorical, what they carry after the war is over the guilt, the PTSD, the trauma. Um, and he, some of the characters he follows back when they are, are in, back in America up to 20 years, you know, after the war is over. So it hits on all the things that you're looking for, um, the long-term effects of the war on people who were there, family dynamics, especially the family dynamics of people who are coming back from the war with all carrying all of that, you know, trauma and guilt and emotional scarring. So I think that this is, you know, kind of exactly what you're looking for. So that's The Things They Carried by Tim O'Brien. Tim O'Brien is just so mm, good. Mm -hmm. So good. Mm. 
Um, so I know you asked for a novel and you wanted specifically a look at veterans, but first of all, you have Tim O'Brien. Second of all, I think especially as American, like white Americans, we forget about the other half of the equation, like what the Vietnam War did to the Vietnamese. And so I wanted to offer you The Best We Could Do by T. Bui, which is a graphic memoir. It's a graphic novel. It is based on. It's like the the Tim O'Brien thing. It's like it's like, yeah. It's like <laughs> creative nonfiction is maybe the right yeah. word. Um. So her family escaped uh, South Vietnam in the 1970s and came to America. And so this is you know an immigrant story. It is um about parents and children it's about you know the effects of war on like generations it's about identity it's about what home means it's about so many big things and the art is freaking gorgeous it's so beautiful uh this book also won a ton of awards uh including the uh 2017 National Book Critics Circle it was a finalist and it's just it's just really I think it's really important and really good. Like, it's both of those things. And I just think, you know, we get so focused on on a certain aspect of wars, and this is important to look at the other side. So, again, that's The Best We Could Do by T. Bui. Okay, so my next... Oh, our next question, not mine. I should tell you the question before I tell you my pick, right? That's that's how this works. <laughs> well, <laughs> so our next question is from Jessica, who says, I'm brand new to the fantasy genre, but I just read Ninth House by Lee Bardugo and loved it. I'm looking for more adult fantasy that is more complex and character driven. My preferred genre is definitely literary fiction. Amanda. Okay, I picked the Gentleman Bastard series by Scott Lynch, which I have talked about before, but I just finished the third one in the series, and the fourth one's not out yet, so I just like have to make sounds about it, and this is a nice opportunity for me to do that. You're welcome. Um, so the first book in the series is The Lies of Lacamora, and I picked this because it's a it's it, it's a found family uh, story all through all of the books in the series, and that's a thing that Lee Bardugo does really well, also not necessarily in the Ninth Health, but in like all of her other um, work, and it is very complex, very character driven. So all of the books in this series are heists. So it's like an Ocean's Eleven kind of thing. Um, and it's a collection of orphans who live on this city called who live in the city called Camor, which is based on like 14th century Venice, except it's very obviously on another planet, <laughs> uh, which gets more important as the book goes on, but doesn't super matter in the first one. Um, and this collection of orphans are taken under the wing of somebody um, who, oh, what's he called him? The blind priest, I think is what he called himself. He was like pretending to be a priest who takes in orphans, but in reality, he's a con man who takes in orphans and trains them to be thieves. So these, uh, I think it's four or five kids grow up, including Locke Lamour, who grow up under this guy's tutelage, learning how to be thieves. Um, they get really, really good at it. And then they go off through all of the books uh, to have their various and, you know, various and sundry heists. There's a lot of interpersonal conflict between the characters and a lot of character development, both when they're children and uh, when they're adults. My favorite part about this series is that Locke Lamour and his best friend Jean are the kind of the main characters. You follow those two specifically through the books. And it is just the most satisfying bromance that you have ever read. And they're so nice to each other and like <laughs> considerate. The, the, like, this is the fantasy version of toxic masculinity is the worst. And this is like how... 
masculinity can be portrayed in a really, really healthy, nice way with these two guys who are actually super dangerous and pretty violent, but like love each other to their very core and will do anything for each other while they while still like having really healthy emotional boundaries and letting each other have romantic, you know, relationships that they're not jealous. It's just amazing. Also, there are like attack sharks and lady pirates. So it's got a little something for everything. I think it's a good entry into like really high fantasy for someone who's not really used to like the tropes of the genre because it is so much about the people um, and the threads of the heist, like figuring out how they're going to pull it off. So that's the Gentleman Bastard series by Scott Lynch. The first book is The Lies of Loch Lamora. All right. My pick for you is The Deep by River Solomon with David Diggs, William Hudson, and Jonathan Snipes, who are the members of the band Clipping. It is a novella, less than 200 pages, but it packs such a big punch for those like 166 pages. It is amazing first of all <laughs> second of all it comes <laughs> first of all <laughs> first of all second of all it comes with trigger warnings for suicidal ideation self-harm and the violence surrounding slavery uh the plot of this is that there are basically mer people who are descendants of pregnant African women who were enslaved and then thrown overboard on the transatlantic crossing and they have, like, been down there for many generations and sort of actually, you know, live pretty solid lives, uh, although there have been issues from time to time. And they obviously have this very traumatic past as a people. And so the way they have dealt with that is that one person in every generation is designated a historian, and that person carries the entire weight of their history. And the rest of them don't remember any of it, except for like once a year or so, there's a big ritual and everybody experiences it. And then they hand the memories back and like go on with their underwater lives. Um, but Yetu, who is the current historian, is really struggling with this. She is uh, very sensitive to touch and sound and you know, external stimulation. Um, and, and, and then she's also carrying internally just these horrifying traumatic memories that she can't talk about with anybody else. And she feels like they're destroying her. So she, after a big ritual, flees, um, and abandons her post and tries to figure out, like, who is she? If she's not just a shell for the memories uh, that are being have been passed on but contained. And it's a really stunning world building exercise. It is a really stunning character. Like you said, you wanted complex characters like Yetu is an amazing character and you're in her head the whole time. And it's just so insightful about what the weight of traumatic memory is like. And then also there are these really interesting, you know, she's going on basically an adventure quest. So you get to see how she interacts with the world around her, which is really fascinating. Uh, and, you know, she has this whole adventure that brings her into contact with land dwellers. And, you know, what does that mean? And, oh, it's just, oh, it's so fascinating and it's so good. And it will really hit you in the feels. And yeah, I just, it's, it's really cool too because it came out of a partnership between Solomon and Clipping 
where uh, they had this song that was actually inspired by like a painting, if I'm recalling correctly. There's a whole history in the back of this book of of the everybody sort of playing like past the potato with this one idea and everybody's different takes on it. And so this is Solomon's take on this concept of underwater sort of dwellers descended from African slave women. So it's really fascinating. And there's a cool end note about that process as well. Um, And I just loved it. So again, that's The Deep by River Solomon with David Diggs, William Hudson, and Jonathan Snipes. All right. Our next question is from Delaney, who says, I would really appreciate a recommendation. I love mystery novels and just finished reading The Couple Next Door and I'm looking for a new book to start. I like mysteries, but I'm not a big fan of Lord of the Rings or Narnia or other fantasy books. Some books I've read are This Lie Will Kill You, That's Not What Happened, In a Dark Dark Wood, and Every Hearted Doorway. I just realized that saying those in order, it sounds like a sentence. Yeah. That's not what happened in a dark tanglewood. (laughs) Hey, okay. Vacation brain. All right. So mystery novels. I picked The Lying Room by Nikki French for you, which I read so fast in like one day over the break. Or it was like right before the break. I don't remember. Anyway. So this is a mystery thriller about a woman named Nev who is having an affair. She's uh, in her mid-40s. Uh, she's been married forever. She's got two or three, three kids, I think. And she starts having an affair with her boss. So one morning she goes to this apartment that her boss has rented uh, next to their office for this like specific purpose of them having, you know, hookups. She goes, she gets a text that he wants to meet her. So she goes there in the middle of the day to meet him. And when she walks in, she finds his dead body. And not just dead, but like he has been murdered, like I think with a hammer. He's super dead, very <laughs> murdered and dead. And so she <laughs> panics and uh, does all of this like really quick mental math about like, of course, I should call the police. But if I call the police, the fact like, why am I here? My stuff is all over this apartment. Apartment. This room smells like my perfume. You know, there's two wine glasses. She starts doing all of this math and add, adds into it the fact that her oldest daughter, who is uh, 18 or 19 and about to go off to college, has a really unstable history with her mental health and has just recently gotten kind of herself together. And so Nev doesn't want to have, you know, this big upset in their family life. So she makes a snap decision to erase her presence from the apartment. So she scrubs top to bottom, takes all of her stuff out. And leaves and then calls the police about the body from a, like a payphone a couple of blocks away. And then tries to go on about her life. Like as the, you know, the body is found and the death of their boss is announced and the police come around to start investigating. And her daughter starts acting more and more strangely. Um, and then she starts getting uh, more involved in the investigation because the police officer can kind of tell that she's not telling the whole truth, but he can't figure out what she's lying about or what she's hiding. And so with every, like, misdirection or new thing that she comes up with to hide that thing or, you know, things she comes up with to cover that thing that she lied about before, it's like lies on lies on lies, lies all the way down. Um, It just becomes more complicated and complex and twisty, and she has to keep track of all these things that she said to who and when and what and what <laughs> uh, so that she doesn't go to jail, <laughs> you know? Um, And it is... Fantastic. The best part of this to me was that she does that so successfully. Like this woman who is like a I think she's a she's a marketer or she makes um she makes marketing materials for some advertising company and you know she's just a very normal London working mother turns out to be like a freaking criminal mastermind. Like she orchestrates this cover up so well. She thinks on her feet super fast. Like in any almost any instance, any interaction that she has with the police I would have crumbled immediately been like, no, you're right. I totally did that. I'm so sorry. Like, I would have just like, I could not come up with any of the stuff that she comes with on her, like on her feet. Um, And she turns out to be this like kind of criminal genius 
and it's amazing. And of course, out there in the world is the knowledge that um, somebody killed her boyfriend. Like somebody killed the man that she was sleeping with. And she figures out that she was supposed to be in the apartment. So like, was she supposed to be the victim? And like, who would want to hurt her? You know, she's never, she's very normal. Has never done anything wrong to anybody. So like, what is going on? So it's like mysteries on mysteries, very twisty turny, uh, criminal mastermind, very engrossing. So that's The Lying Room by Nikki French, which is written, Nikki French is actually an, uh, um, pen name for a husband-wife writing duo. So that's interesting considering the subject matter. So yeah, go read that. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. The theme of this question is also books with lying or variations on that word in the title. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because I picked We Were Liars by E. Lockhart, uh, which comes with trigger warnings for a dog death and human death. Uh, So just so you know, don't at me. I told you. Um, (laughs) But I really can't tell you very much else about this book because... It's a mystery, and it's like a really sort of hazy, intertwined. It's it's really hard to pull out things to talk about without spoilers, um, but I will do my best. It is about a very rich family who have their own private island, like New England rich, you know, kind of blue bloods. And there are some King Lear vibes here. Like there's like some competition among the grown adults for, you know, the patriarch's approval, et cetera, et cetera. And then there are the teenagers who are sort of caught up in all of the family dynamics. And there has been a thing that happened. (laughs) And now everybody's trying to figure out what happened i do, i li- literally don't know how else to tell you what. <laughs> so i what shall i tell i'll tell you about the feel of this it's it's it definitely kept me like turning the pages and i was like what is going on like you're very like what the heck is going on and i think there was it was very controversial when it came out the reveal like mm-hmm. some people were like that's amazing and some people were like oh i'm so mad um so you will have big feelings likely about this book i don't know which way you will go but i enjoyed <laughs> it i thought it was really cleverly done it's like the just as a weird murdery puzzle that you're trying to put together and you don't have all the information because the main character is either lying or doesn't have it or is not telling you and so yeah, it's it's super twisty turning, it's super fascinating, um, and definitely like will give you feelings of some kind or another. So again, that's We Were Liars by E. Lockhart. Oh, and now is the time for our next sponsor break. Today's episode is brought to you by Gallery Books. So Anna Green thought she was marrying Liam West for access to subsidized family housing while at UCLA, which is an interesting reason to marry someone. But, you know, in this economy. So anyway, she signed divorce papers when the graduation caps were tossed and she thought she was done. Eh, She wasn't. Three years later, Anna is a starving artist living paycheck to paycheck while West is a Stanford professor. Now, he is part of a conglomerate. His family owns this mega grocery store chain. He's not interested in working for them, but he is interested in those greenbacks, honey, that come in the form of a $100 million inheritance. To get it, he has to be married for five years. That's where our girl Anna comes back into play. So the two will fake a marriage, but as he gets to know her and gets to appreciate the feisty, foul mouth, paint splattered girl that she is, he'll begin to wonder if the money is worth the love of his life. Pick up The Paradise Problem by Christina Lauren to find out if it is. And thanks again to Gallery Books for sponsoring this episode. 
Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk, comes the page-turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dazzling perfection to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. All right. I am still talking. Question five is from Rachel, who says, I'm looking for new books, especially book series to recommend to my dad. He's just recently gotten into reading and he's already through most of the books I've suggested. So I wanted to line up some future reads. His favorites so far have been Craig Johnson's Longmire series, William Kent Kruger's Cork O'Connor series, John Sanford's Virgil Flowers and Lucas Davenport. And he's currently diving into Michael Connelly's Harry Bosch. Um, also, Rachel has a suggestion for Caitlin, who is looking for Agatha Christie slash Clue readalikes, uh, the hall in the hall with the knife by Diana Peterfriend. <laughs> and apparently, the first in a new YA series that's inspired by the game of Clue. That's super fun. Okay, Amanda, what do you got for series mysteries? Okay, um, so your dad seems to be really into like the Private Eye Sheriff lone ranger dude solving the thing so i picked bluebird bluebird by attica lock um which like it's a series it's the highway 59 series but there's only two books in it so you know whatever um she's like writing more it's very new so bluebird bluebird is about a man named darren who is a texas ranger from east texas and he is black and has a lot of feelings about growing up black in the lone star state and now being you know a law enforcement officer and he is like left when the book opens he's not uh stayed um and then like judy calls him back to his hometown so he goes back uh to this little town called lark after getting in some kind of trouble on on his own in his own hometown uh on highway 59 uh this little town called lark where there have been two murders there's a lawyer from chicago a black lawyer from chicago has been murdered and a local white woman so there's all of this tension and resentment and like oh you know buzzy i don't know tension's really the only good word for it in this um little town over these crimes and so darren you know has to solve the crimes because that's his job but also himself (laughs) and all while navigating these very long held um about to blow up at any moment if anyone looks at anybody sideways kind of racial tensions in this little town of lark texas um, the book, when it first came out, was pitched as like rural noir, which I think is a mm. really good uh, description of it. I haven't read the second one, um, but I'm sure, you know, it's the same. But rural noir seems to be kind of exactly what your dad likes to read. Like I would describe a lot of these series um, as rural noir. And that noir noir crime kind of thing is a very, very popular subgenre of mystery. So there's lots out there. But I, the thing that I like about 
at a clock and about this one specifically is it, it it does that like tough guy cop with you know a past coming into town to like solve this uh murder uh mystery um but it ha- it up it's very updated you know it's it and relevant and timely and Adakalak is such a great writer she writes for TV also and you can feel that i think when you're reading her books they they play out like a really great television series in your head or in my head anyway when i read them so yeah so that's bluebird bluebird by Adakalak I picked Still Life by Louise Penny, which is the first in the Chief Inspector Armand Gamache series, of which there are 15, and they are still being published. So, like, if your dad likes them, there is plenty more where that came from. Also, rural mysteries, because, yeah, like Amanda, I noticed that there was definitely a rural vibe here. Um, These take place in a little town, like a village, called Three Pines outside of Montreal. And, you know, there's lots of quirky local folks, um, but there is a murder, because always. And they don't have a local detective, so they call in Inspector Gamache from Montreal. Montreal to investigate. And he's not like, like, I think, you know, so many of these, including actually the Bluebird, Bluebird detective or law enforcement officials or private eyes are like, you know, they drink too hard. They're estranged from their wives, but maybe not quite divorced yet. Like they're very sort of hard bitten, but with a heart of gold. And Inspector Gamache is like not quite that way, like, he is, like, in a good relationship with his wife and is not, like, <laughs> what a, a developing alcoholic. <laughs> a little bit different. Um, but these are... I, so I confess, I actually... I'm, like, waiting for my library hole. I'm finally going to get into these myself. But I have several friends who are mystery lovers and, like, they insist, first of all, that you have to start with the first one because there are so many layers of complexity that build over time, which I always think is interesting for long-running mystery series. And then, because, you know, you have the murder of the week, but then for a long series, hopefully there is some bigger arc and this series definitely has that. And then, you know, I know a lot of series where it's like, oh, you can pick up at sort of like number seven. But this is one of the only series where I feel like the readers are like, no, you have to start with number one, which is really interesting. So I think that this will work for your dad in a lot of different ways. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm like, I'm looking forward to diving in because I just feel like I've been hearing about Louise Penny for decades. And one day... It's going to happen. So that's Still Life by Louise Penny. All right. Our next question is from Maria, who says, I'm looking for a recommendation that will be immersive and thoughtful. The books I've enjoyed most in the past couple of years tend to be written by women, are shamelessly intellectual, and tackle big philosophical, sociological, or political questions. Han Kang's Human Acts, Alif Bauderman's The Idiot, and Rachel Cusk's Outline Trilogy are examples. I also like mythological retellings that center often uncentered leads like women, uh, as in Circe by Madeline Miller, or queer characters, Autobiography of Red by Ann Carson. Okay, I picked The Seasonal Quartet by Ali Smith, uh, which is also known as the Brexit books. And the first book is Autumn, the second is Winter, etc. You get it. Um, And these are exactly what you're... They're shamelessly intellectual. They're very... um, I don't even know if I would call them experimental. I think they're experimental in in her style. So it's not the kind of books that you're just going to sit down and breeze through. And it's certainly not plot-driven by any means. It's very philosophically driven. And she is tackling these huge sociological and political questions. She wrote the books about Brexit um, and the aftermath and how 
the UK got there. So Autumn is kind of ostensibly about a man named Daniel, who's almost 100 years old, and a woman named Elizabeth, who's born in 1984. And as a child, Elizabeth and Daniel become friends. And so their friendship becomes the framework through which Ali Smith is connecting this political sex scandal from the 60s to Brexit. And that sounds like a super weird framing, and it really is. It's a weird framing. And it's a weird book. Like, so much of it is about the leaves changing colors, but also riots in the streets. Like, she's leaving a lot out. You don't get tons of... There's. It's not a history book, you know, or even a political commentary, so you're not getting a lot of background information about what Brexit is or how it came to be literally, but she is looking at it, like, almost from a like a spiritual person. Like, what is in the spirit of the English people, you know, that brought them to this moment to make this decision? And there are overtly political moments in the book where, like, you know, a person of color gets harassed or people talk about Brexit explicitly, but it is more than that. Like, it's about more than just the event of Brexit. Um, well, I don't even know if I can call it an event. It hasn't happened yet. But the vote, you know, that happened. Um, and then she's looking more at the kind of the background noise of it, of, like, how did we even let ourselves become the kind of people who do this sort of thing as as a society, as a unit. Uh, and then the other books, Winter and Spring and Summer, Summer just came out, I think, or maybe it's not even out yet. Um, but the rest of the books in the quartet take it farther. So she's continuing to examine the after effects of the vote and what's you know happening now through this really like metaphysical, weird, experimental, literary, intellectual kind of writing style that she has made you know famous for her whole career. So that is The Seasonal Quartet by Ali Smith. The first book is Autumn. I picked The Chef by Marie Ndiaye, translated by Jordan Stump, and that's chef with two Fs and an E on the end, which signifies apparently in French that it's a female chef. Um, and it is about, surprise, a female chef. And <laughs> it is, I think I'll get, also, this is very much what you're looking for. It's super immersive. It's so thinky. And it's not at all linear because what you get here is a sort of monologue by a great chef's like one of the men who worked for her and he is clearly obsessed with her and believes that like he had a spe special relationship with her and that you know he knows things about her past some of which he like snooped uh, uh and found out about and then like got busted for and then some of which like he you know they had these interactions and but all you're getting is his side his view on this amazing female chef who you know conquered you know poverty and you know gender prejudice and bigotry and all of these things to become a renowned, you know, Michelin star winning chef. And he has all of these opinions about, you know, how she did it and like what her background was like and her relationship with her daughter, which is very troubled. And, you know, he it's so interesting. But you through this like, you know, really self-centered dude narrative, you get this amazing portrait of this woman. And it's I just like still kind of can't figure out how she did it. Like, it just doesn't seem like it should work, but it does. It really does. And it's very meandering it sort of moves in and out you get a little bit of a snapshot of his like sort of miserable current life um and it's fascinating and she's such a good writer the translation is fantastic and yeah i think i described it on a previous show uh during a recommendation as like a novel version of the chef's table episode and i stand by it like the way that this book talks about food is like spiritual and then you get these you know fascinating characters it's just so good so again that's the chef 
by Marie Ndiaye, translated by Jordan Stump. And our last question is from Abby, who says, I'd like to find a book that I won't just finish in two days. I love the Sherlock Holmes books and the Stainless Steel Rat series, as well as The Hobbit and Tom Sawyer. I don't particularly like books with time travel or a lot of magic use. I don't read as often as I used to because I don't know where to look for books that I'll like. I'm just going to keep talking. Listen, Abby. (laughs) (laughs) Show title. (laughs) I am sorry to have to tell you that From the sound of it, you know, you're a fast reader. There are very few books that you're not just going to finish in two days. Like, that's just Mm -hmm. the reality of life. I've been there, felt that, you know, especially as a teenager when I had more time to read. Like, it was so frustrating. But listen, my recommendation for you is The Beekeeper's Apprentice by Laurie R. King, which is the first in the Mary Russell and Sherlock Holmes series, of which there are 15 books. So while you will maybe finish one of them in two days... The 15 will maybe take you a month. So, you know, you've got some reading for a little while. And I really enjoyed these. I was not, like, I'm not a diehard Sherlock fan, I wouldn't say. I mean, I enjoy Elementary, and I liked these books, but I'm not just, like, actively always seeking out Sherlock Holmes rewrites. But I think these are just great. And I I know a lot of, you know, hardcore Sherlock Holmes fans who love them. Um, And it's about, you know, Holmes has retired and is, like, you know, raising bees on the Sussex Downs, just hanging out. He's done with everything. You know, people are stupid. He's not solving cases anymore. He just wants to be left alone with his bees. And then Mary Russell comes along. She is a young woman who has moved in with like a terrible aunt and is just trying to escape from the house for as long as she can um, until she reaches her majority because oldie times. She can't have any of her family money, so she's required to live with this terrible aunt. And so she's like tramping along the downs and like run literally almost runs into Sherlock Holmes studying his bees and they form a very unlikely friendship and then she becomes his apprentice and she is very smart and really surprises him with her quick-wittedness and there's all kinds of you know adventures and mysteries to solve etc 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 and they're I think they're very true to the spirit of the original works I really love how sassy Mary Russell is there's some stuff in here that like hasn't aged quite as well as I would wish that it was first published in 1994. So there's, you know, some othering and some racial politics that are weird. But on the whole, I think they are very enjoyable and they move really quickly and they do interesting things with these legacy characters that I think you'll dig. And again, there are 15 of them, so that'll take you a little while. So again, that's The Beekeeper's Apprentice by Laurie R. King. Um, I picked, I ignored how you don't like magic, I'm sorry. So I picked The Rook by Daniel O'Malley, because I think that you will really enjoy it, despite the, like, supernaturally stuff that's happening. Um, it is big. It's gonna take you more than at least, you know, more than a day to read. It's like 500 pages, and so is the sequel. So these are two big chunksters. You'll be occupied for a little, I mean, like Jen said, you know, two days instead of one day. I don't know. Um, but this one is very Sherlockian and it's got this very twisty kind of mystery that one super smart person has to solve. The problem is the super smart person is like in a body that she doesn't entirely recognize. So it's about a woman named, I never remember how to say it, Miffany. I've just say, I say it Miffany in my head, but it's spelled in a very, um, like, is it Welsh? Yeah. If if I feel, if I remember correctly, the going like thought was Miffany like Tiffany. So Miffany like Tiffany, she wakes up. 
in London, like in a park, surrounded by dead bodies who all have on latex gloves. And she finds a note in her pocket that says, the body you are wearing used to be mine. And that is how the book opens. So she follows the instructions of this person who apparently used to live in the body that she's in now, has left for her, like all of these clues and... um notes and stuff she goes back to this person whoever this person is apartment she goes to this person's job and when she goes to this person's job she finds out that she's actually a rook or the body that she's wearing is a rook which is a high really high-ranking member of a secret organization in britain whose design is to like control the supernatural elements that live you know in the area of course she has you know, been betrayed somehow. She's ended up in some awful situation where a bunch of people are dead and she doesn't remember anything about her past or who she is really or who the person is whose body she's in. And she has to navigate all of that while like pretending that everything is fine so she doesn't get murdered or sort of murdered because what would happen if the body she was in died? Would she go to a new body? Who knows? It's just all of these questions. Um, but so she has to solve all of these mysteries at once. Like who, who is she? Who is this person whose body she's occupying? How did she get there? How does she get out? Where's her own body like what's going on also there's all of these like big political questions happening within this organization that she's apparently a member of um that revolve around people with a lot of different kind of supernatural abilities some of which are like to be in several places at once so it presents this really kind of impossible stack of complicated mysteries and situations that she's got to solve and then, you know, off she goes. <laughs> and so, like, you know, everything else would be a spoiler. But that's the setup. And it, you know, if Sherlock had the ability to murder people with his brain or, <laughs> like, had four heads, yeah, then that would, you know, line up a little bit better with, with this book. But I think the things that you that a lot of people like about Sherlock, how complicated the mysteries are, um, the, like, kind of savant intelligence that he has as a character, a lot of those elements are in the Rook. But it's also kind of fast-paced um, and, you know, updated, so... I really liked it. And it's a TV show now. Is that real? I think I'm remembering. Oh, yeah. It's at least be a development. Show. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's happening. So if you like it, you can watch the show. So that's The Rook by Daniel O'Malley. And that's our show. Wahoo! We did it. All right. Thank you all for listening to our rantings and ravings. If you are so inclined, we would love for you to leave a rating and or a review on Apple Podcasts. We saw a bunch of new ones come in. Thank you so much mm-hmm. to those folks. And uh, yeah, it helps other people find the show and, of course, makes our day when we see it. Uh, thank you to today's sponsors. And you can find us on social media in between shows. Amanda, where are you? I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. And you can find me on Twitter as Jen IRL. That's J-E-N-N-I-R-L. And I'm on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And we'll talk to you next time. <laughs>